I was gone last week. I was in uh, Michigan and uh, hanging out with my wife's side of the family for a little family reunion. And um, this is going to tie in here in just a second, I promise. But like, uh, it was it's just a difference. You, if you those of you who are married, you kind of there's a difference between hanging out with one side of the family and the other side of the family. And all I can say about her family is good things. They're amazing people. They're kind. They're fun. We had a great time. Um, we spent some time in Michigan. Just uh, I met people I've never even met before. It was awesome. So we had a really good time. It reminds me of a story about a little girl who went to her mom and said, "Mom, where do we come from?" And her mom was like, well, there's this creator God, and he made everyone perfectly, and he loves you so much, and he was thinking about you when he made you, and he's just incredible, and that's why we worship God. And she went on and on about her faith and explained to her, her daughter uh, where they came from, and then she went, this daughter, she went also to her dad, and she said, Dad, where do we come from? And her dad was like, well, we came from monkeys. We uh, evolved, and so it's completely just this random happenstance, and, you know, we, we all evolved from monkeys, and this little girl was so confused. She was like, what in the world? So she went back to her mom, and she said, Mom, you told me about this creator, God, who loves us and created us and did all this stuff for, for us, and then I went to Dad, and he said, we, we evolved from monkeys, and I don't really understand, and she said, no, that's, that's exactly right. Your dad was telling you about his side of the family. Uh, so that's kind of how I felt last week. Um, hanging out with my wife's side of the family, the sophisticated, awesome, amazing, fun people. It was a really good time, and we had a really good uh, week of just relaxing and being together. So it kind of does tie in, though, because we've been talking through the beginning of Genesis, and we've been talking about how God created everything and how there was intention in it. We've talked about how he created us perfectly and loves us, how he designed us for work, how he gave us uh, kind of a, a... Uh, marching orders on what we were supposed to do. And then the last time I was with you guys, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about how this kind of got ruined by the the idea that we, in and of ourselves, we want to take God off of his throne. We want to put ourselves on that throne. And and there's a, a, a problem that we have called sin that comes in and kind of destroys and undercuts God's creation and what he has designed and what he has intended. And today's story is going to be a little bit more of that. We're going to find that this sin, this concept of sin, of us dethroning God and putting ourselves on that throne, it actually doesn't just stop at the person doing the sin, that it is shared with the next generation. And we're going to see the struggle of the second generation of humans uh, and how they kind of make a mess of what God had created and the situation that they found themselves in. And and we, we asked that question before, uh, you know, what was one what was the one thing that you'd like to trade or get from your sibling? I mean, those were better than the questions I wanted to ask. I was like, hey, let's ask, where would you kill your sibling? What location would it be, in a field? Or, or, or uh, hey, what's one thing that you wish you could have that your sibling, what's one thing you're jealous of your sibling for? This is what we're going to see today, some pretty intense topics around this sibling rivalry. And by the way, if you follow this through the first family, through the first uh, chapters of Genesis, you're going to find that every generation, there's more sibling rivalry and more jealousy and more issues with sin that's going to create a very imperfect look at what the first families of Genesis look like. It's almost as if, right, perfection isn't a thing that we should be striving for, right? But that there's something else out there for us to be looking at, like how we should be living in spite of our imperfection and in spite of 
uh, the things. And I would say for my own brother, he's a great guy. And uh, he just is one of those people that he can, uh, he, he can just make money doing anything. He's just one of those people that just makes, in high school, he decided to start like a t-shirt company. And he just like all of a sudden was the richest high school kid you've ever met. Right. He then, you know, decided to take his band uh, to like stardom and he ended up touring Europe and making that a successful venture, which almost no band ever makes it to be able to do cool stuff like that. Now he's a mortgage broker and he just seems to fall into money. Sometimes there's days when I wish I was a little bit like him, you know, and that, that the resources were plentiful and that I just had this golden way of kind of making everything always work out. Um, I, and I'm not jealous, but I, I wouldn't mind having that. It would be nice to be able to give more to the church. But uh, that's what I tell God. Like, if he gave me more, I would, I would give more. So it hasn't worked so far. Um, so let's start here with uh, Genesis chapter 4. Where we left the story was that Adam and Eve have just sinned against God. God has come down. He's seen that they did the one thing that he asked them not to do. He had given them incredible freedom and said, You're free. Please live and enjoy all this and do what you want with it, but just don't do this one thing. And that's exactly what they did. And then God had to kind of kick them out of the garden. And so now we find them living east of the garden, living outside of God's presence, living in a place where they're not exactly uh, loving life as much as they did in the garden. There's some consequences. It turns work and childbirth into toil. There's a lot more difficulty and pain in those two things. Now that God has... uh, kind of put them out of the the garden. And so we pick it up in Genesis chapter 4. And it says, Adam made love to his wife, uh, which, by the way, the King James Version is a much better way of saying this. It says, Adam knew his wife, like in a biblical sense. So Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now, in the, like, in the uh, last part of uh, Genesis where we saw Adam and Eve kind of get thrown out, God said to them before he kicked them out, he said that basically that there would be a time where the serpent would be um, destroyed or killed by basically her offspring. So this was kind of a, a fun little moment for them. They've come out of the garden. They're thinking, how do we get back into God's presence? Maybe we're going to fulfill the thing that God told us to do. And so we're going to have ourselves a, an offspring that will potentially beat our adversary, and put us back into relationship with God. So it says, you know, she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. And the word for Cain's name, it literally translates to, like, gotten, or I I, I have now, or I was, you know, I, I went and got um, this person. And it's almost like they are ready for and excited about the idea that they can kind of bring this back together. This is what God had said to the serpent when he had kicked them out and when he had kind of uh, cursed the serpent. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And you have to be thinking, Eve is thinking, right, this is my offspring. This will be the one that fulfills what God has said. This will be the moment we were able to get back into good graces with God that will put to death our enemy, and this will be the end of it. And we, of course, know that was a big swing and a miss. Right? It's not going to be Cain that's going to bring about the, the prophecy here. It's Jesus. 
right? And so you could see how they would be excited for Cain and that they would have gotten exactly what they were hoping for and that Cain will be the one that will get them out of trouble, that will kind of put the, the rivalry with, the, their, with their enemy uh, to death, that will crush his head, and that they will, he will strike his heel, and that this is the moment where things are going to be put back together. This was a hope that the fulfillment of God's promise would come to pass, but that's not exactly what happens. Right? The first person that's created here, outside of God creating Adam and Eve, is going to be the first person who actually murders someone. So it says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So you have two brothers doing two different things, right? First Cain, then Abel. Cain is working the soil. Abel is working the flocks. One is a shepherd. One is a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not Look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. He was sulking. He was almost, almost whiny is the way that it's translated here. So you can see both of them bring an offering. One is accepted. One is not accepted. Two brothers, both of their jobs take an element of trust and faith in God to see them come to fruition. One puts seed in the ground and then waits for God to do his thing and grow something out of that seed. The other one takes care of animals and waits while they give birth to new animals to bring about a harvest. Both of them have faith in God and understand that there's something there they can't control. There's something there that there's nothing they can do about. Right? I don't I don't know if you are somebody who likes to garden or likes to do but there's an element of it like you you do what you can but then you have to kind of step back and there's really not much you can do. You can set the soil right, you can put the seed in the right spot, you can make sure there's enough enough distance between the seeds, you can water it correctly, you can do everything that you can do but there's an element of faith to watch that seed do what it was designed to do. Right? And to step back and say I have faith that this is going to create tomatoes. Right? I have faith that this is going to create green beans. I have faith that this is going to create whatever it is that we're trying to create here. And there's a moment where you take your hands off and you say, okay, I've got faith this is going to do its thing. Where does that come from? Right? There's a God who created all of this and set all this up. So their jobs literally put them in a position where they're relying on God to do this all the time. A, a, a herdsman, a, a shepherd would would be allowing for that season where the animals are going to now create new animals, babies, and they see their animals getting pregnant and they wait for a new animal to come forth and there's nothing they can do. They try to take care of the animals, make sure they don't get get picked off by, uh, by you know, uh, wolves and, and bears and stuff, but, but there's nothing they can do. They wait. They have faith. And so both of them had practiced faith, had a relationship with understanding that they were not in control, and that there was a God out there who cared about them, who created this way, and they were both living as though they were not in control. And so they bring offerings. They worship. These are the first two people that we see in Scripture worshiping God for what He does that they cannot do. And I don't know if you've thought about this, like, what is it that you're doing when you come here on a Sunday? 
I, I think a lot of people just go through the motions. They're like, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to show up, and then we sing songs. I'm supposed to open my mouth and sing. I'm supposed to listen to Mark Babylon about whatever it is that he's talking about. I'm supposed to do this. I'm going through the motions, and I'm just clicking these things off, checking them off, because this is what it looks like to be a Christian. But that's not why we're here on a Sunday. Like, we're here to worship together. We're here to offer something to God. And whenever you do, right, you're offering something. When you sing, you're not just singing because you're supposed to. You're singing as an offering. You're offering, right, your ad, your admiration for God. You're giving Him, aspiring worth to Him and doing that. Worship literally just means to give worth to something. I think a lot of us, actually, the what we're worshiping is really ourselves, and we're going through the motions of doing church or doing Christianity or doing whatever, and that's not what God wants. He wants us to come and to offer worship to Him. When we sing, we're offering worship to Him. When we give, we're offering worship to Him. When we listen to a sermon, read the Bible, when we serve, when we love people, we're offering worship to God. This is a, a decision that we've made as worshipers to say, you know what? I'm not in control of everything. You are. I know that you are worthy of every piece of worship that I could give you. Here's my offering. And God says he's pleased with some offerings and not pleased with other offerings. And you have to ask the question, why does he receive one of their offerings but not the other Right? Cain brings some of his harvest and offers it as an offering. Abel does that as well. Abel is accepted and Cain is not. Why? Why does one get accepted and the other does not? And it's not exactly perfectly clear, right? There are some clues we have to look for. At first, you might think that God is uh, pro-meat and anti-vegetarian, and I would agree with that. God is definitely, but that's not, that's not what's going on here. Uh, what is God, why is God accepting of one piece of worship and not the other? Well, it says when Abel came to bring his offering, that he brought the fat portions and the firstborn. There's something different about what Abel did than what Cain did. Cain just says he brought some of the harvest to give as an offering to God. Abel brought the fattest portions and the firstborn. Now, we all know the fattest portions, that's where it's at. Right, that's where the flavor is. Anybody who smokes meats or cooks all that, you know the, that's the best part. The marble in that steak is very, very important, right? The, the fat cap, you don't want to get rid of until it's time to, you want to make sure that that just renders itself out and, and, and makes it all juicy and delicious, okay? So when you give the fattest portions, you're giving the best cuts, the best that you have, and the first and so we have one giving from their absolute best and their absolute first, and one that says they just gave some. It implies that Cain came and offered because he was supposed to, and Abel came and offered his first and his best. And, and I just want to ask you that question because it's, it's something that needs to keep us honest. Like when you come here on a Sunday morning, and, and even beyond that, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but like when you come here on a Sunday morning, are you coming to give your first and your best? Are you here on time? Nobody is. That's, I, we're all, if I didn't have to be here at seven, I'd probably be late too, so I'm not, I'm not judging you, okay? When, when the service begins and we're worshiping together, are you 
giving your best to God, or are you more paying attention to who's here, what's going on in the room, you're thinking about stuff that's going on in your own heart, you haven't really come and prepared yourself to offer anything to God? Are you, are you sitting here listening to me just because you're supposed to and you feel like this is what you're supposed to do? Or is this, you know, really you're trying to learn and trying to move forward in your faith? Like, what is it about that? When we give to God, are we giving our first and our, and our best? You know, if you went, went home and had a conversation, those of you who are married, go home and have this conversation tonight. Are we, are we giving our first and our best? If, if you're giving to God after you pay all your bills, take care of the kids' stuff, make sure that you put some money aside for, you know, vacations and save for this and do that and do this other thing, and then whatever's left over, you're now just giving some of that to God, that's, that's like a tip. That's not your first and your best. Right? We don't really talk about giving very often here. We don't really talk about kind of because it's one of those things that's a sensitive topic, and I understand that. And I think at first when we started our church, I was a little bit afraid to talk about this topic. But now I realize that this is a, an issue of discipleship. And there are many of us who struggle in this area of being generous and being able to let go of what God has placed in our hands. But when you see everything that God has given you as a gift from him, then it allows you to be generous and to give the first and to give the best back to him you ask the question, well, like, what does that look like? What if I give to this other organization? Or what if I, like, you, you should be giving some to your local church, and God may call you to give to other places as well. And that's what generosity looks like. You know, if you ask the question, and if you think about what your priorities are, whether you're giving your first and your best, or whether you're just going through the motion of giving something because you're supposed to, or maybe not giving anything at all, which is sometimes even more honest than giving a little. Right? And that's, that's the question we have to ask ourselves as we look at Cain and Abel. God receives what we give in faith because God cares more about our hearts than he does about the gift that we're giving. Look, some of you guys cannot carry a tune. And you would say, I don't want to worship. I don't want to sing because I am the worst singer in the world. If I sing, it will distract other people. That doesn't mean God doesn't want you to give your offering. Right? Your, your singing on key is not a prerequisite to giving your offering. You offering your heart to God in that moment of worship, right, where you're singing, is what God cares about. God does not care about what the, the quality of what it is if your heart is giving it for the right reason. God does not care about the amount that you're giving if your heart is giving it for the right reason. If you're giving your first and your best, right, that's what God cares about. And I think sometimes we get caught up. We say, well, I'm in a stage of life where I just can't give anything, you know, a, a significant amount, so I'm just not going to do it. And it's not the amount that God's caught up about. It's the priority of making him first and giving him the best. It's the priority of saying, I'm going to worship God in doing this. And when we talk about giving at this church, we often say, hey, the thing that we want you to do is to decide ahead of time and give it with joy. If you can't let it go with joy, then don't do it. We're not hung up on trying to make sure that everybody's giving. We're hung up on trying to make sure that everybody's giving for the right reasons and giving in a worshipful way. 
And it would be one thing to not talk about it at all and to just allow people to do this kind of on their own. But there is a corporate piece to this. When we all give our worship to God, he takes that and he, he multiplies that, you know, so many times over. And we're able to, as a church, make a huge difference in our world because we're all basically working at this together. The church is going to go as far as the people of that church are willing to sacrifice for the mission that God has given us. And so I don't want you to feel bad about where you're at if you're not necessarily giving much to the church. I want you to go home and think about how do we worship and what does that look like? And I'd be more interested, not in the amount that you give, but if you're doing it with the right heart, if you're giving your first and your best, if you're giving it with joy, and if you're excited about the things that this church gets to do because of the fact that we get together on this and do it together. God has all the resources that we need. God has all the resources that you need and all the resources that we need as a church. And we get through, you know, we, we're able to accomplish the mission that God has given us when we're all worshiping him together. And you're like, all right, stop talking about money, bro. I promise, right? This is not a health and wealth gospel, by the way. I'm not saying God wants to keep you healthy and keep you rich and that you should give more so that you'll be healthy and that you'll be rich. What I'm saying to you is that you'll be blessed beyond what you think you will be if you give the first and best to God and you worship with joy in your giving. That's what I'm saying to you. And that's what didn't happen here for Cain. He gave because he was required to. He gave because he ought to. He gave because... We don't know. We don't know why, but it wasn't necessarily a, a gift made in faith. In fact, it talks about Abel's gift in Hebrews chapter 11, and it says Abel was commended because his gift was made in faith. Right? I, I often have conversations with people who, who uh, work on, um, uh, they, don't, they don't have like a, a regular salary. They work on a, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Yeah, they work on commission. Listen, is there, is there a bigger commission than putting seeds in the ground and not knowing what the harvest is going to look like? Is there a bigger commission than watching animals be birthed and we don't know how many are going to be lost to wolves? Right? They, they gave before they saw the end of what they were giving for. They did it in faith. And it wasn't faith that God was going to make them healthy and make them rich. It was faith that God was to be trusted that I can trust God with what he has given me, and I can give back to him in that. Hebrews says Abel's gift was brought in faith, and it says Cain's was just a portion, just something, just because he felt like he ought to or because he felt like that was what was required of him. We don't want you to give if you feel like you ought to. right? We want you to give because... You love God and you're worshiping Him with your giving. And that goes for serving the church. It goes for loving people in this world. It goes for anything that you would bring to God as an act of worship. And yes, it means even your off-tone voice is something you should give to the Lord. Even your presence with other believers every week would be something that would be given to the Lord. Even your preparation, when it means you come into a worship time and you're ready to worship from the moment it begins, that would be a gift given first and foremost to God. That's what Abel did, and that's not what Cain did. Cain missed the mark. 
One gave their best. One gave some. One did it because they, it was an act of faith and it was their first and best. One gave because they ought to and they should. That's called religion. We're not here to propagate religion. We're not here to propagate ought to. We're not here to see people do things because they're supposed to. We're here to see people do things because they desire to, because they want to worship, give worth to God, because they see everything they have as a gift from Him, because it's an opportunity for them to respond to His love and His care and His, his creation and who He is. When it comes to worship, God wants your heart. He doesn't care about what your gift is. He wants your heart. And then look at the care that God gives to Cain after he struggles with this and after he, he kind of messes up the, the offering and after he kind of finds himself in this downtrodden, sulking state, God comes to him and it says, Then the Lord came, said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God, in a caring act, comes to Cain and says, you, dude, you're real close to letting this sin take over and ruin your life. This is one of the benefits of being part of a church and submitting yourself to other people within that church. There are moments in our lives where we are close to letting our sin overcome us. And when someone comes to us and says, hey, your sin... It's crouching at your door, and it's trying to devour you. Like, I feel like there's a documentary on Netflix just about every couple years uh, where someone is trying to, like, tame wild animals or has wild animals, and, like, they always end the same. Right? Like, if you have, like, a lion in your backyard that you think you're going to tame, you might for a little while, but at the end, what always happens? They eat you, right? If you have a wild animal and you try to keep it as a pet, you might for a short time. But eventually, it's going to eat you. And I think sometimes we think that sin is like one of those things that we can manage, that we can kind of be on top of, that we say, hey, we'll just keep it in this place or this way. I'll be in charge of this. I'll manage this. And what God says to Cain here is that sin is crouching at your door. He acts like it is an animal ready to devour. Right? Later on in the New Testament where we see that you have a, you know, Peter talks about you have an enemy who's like a lion who prowls around looking to devour you. That imagery comes straight out of this conversation that God is having with Cain. That if you think you can control your sin and rule over your own sin and are able to on your own sort of keep it at bay, you are mistaken. Because it is just waiting for you to crack that door. It's just waiting for the opportunity to devour you. And we, we have to. If we want to be healthy and we want to be worshiping God, we want to be doing what he's called us to do, we have to confront and put sin to death. Because sin kills relationships, jobs, marriages, futures. It kills hope. It kills peace. It attacks the things that make our life worth living. And yet we let it sit there like it's going to be a pet. Like we're able to control the sin that's in our lives. No, we have to confront our sin and we have to put it to death or it puts to death things that we care about that make our lives worth living. 
God cared about Cain, and he offered him a way out. He warned him. He promises to forgive. He doesn't want us to suffer the consequences of our sin. And that's the situation we find ourselves. There is always a moment where we can back out of that sin before it becomes full born. Right? The New Testament says it like this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Right? Our sin leads us to a place where something is going to die. Either we're going to put the sin to death or it's going to kill relationships, jobs, marriages, futures, hope, peace. These things will be dead. They will be killed by the sin that we are unwilling to confront and deal with. And God steps back and says, I love you. Put your sin to death. I've given you people around you to show you the places where you need to like, like deal with the sin in your life. I'm here to forgive you. I promise you that if you would come and you would, you know, we would ask for forgiveness that I will, I'll forgive and that I'll heal and that I'll move you forward in your, in your life. But you have to confront and put to death your sin. And, and Cain has a moment where he, where he could back out. He could make the decision to say, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. I'm going to turn this, this moment where I have this chance to either do this thing that's, that's boiling up inside of me or not, I can, I can go in the other direction. But Cain doesn't take the way out. And I feel like so many times we will serve ourselves and act like we can control that sin on our own, when in reality we should give up and ask for forgiveness and invite God into that moment and ask him to heal us and ask him to bring victory against that sin and to drive it out of our, out of our lives, to take it seriously and to understand it's a threat to everything in our lives that we love. That it's just crouching. It's just waiting for that opportunity. There's a real enemy here that wants to see us suffer. That God stands back and says, hey, you can avoid all this. Just take it seriously and put it to death. Don't let it crouch at your door. Don't let it be there. Deal with it. But Cain does not take the way out. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain hates the promptings of God in this situation, right? He's probably feeling shame. He's probably understood that he's done something that he can't undo. When we do something, we either get defensive or confrontational or we find humility and contrition. In this moment, Cain has gotten defensive and he's gotten confrontational with God. He's pulled an Adam where he's now blaming God for he's mad and angry and now he's going to blame God for his, for his own sin. And I, I feel like this is the difference between, you know, like, I don't know how you grew up or what your situation was with your parents or your, or your dad especially because a lot of times our relationships with our dad informs our relationship with God and it's something we got to work through as people to not ascribe some of the things that our parents did or, or the imperfections of our family to God. But there are moments in our lives where we do something wrong and there are one of two responses. One is, I'm dead when my dad finds out about this. Right? Some of us had the fear of God put in us by our parents and when we knew when we did something wrong, I'm dead. When my dad finds out about this, I am dead. I got to hide this I got to make sure he doesn't find out about this. Like, I think in our dad-son relationship, dad-daughter relationship, that, that's sometimes okay. 
for us to feel a little bit afraid of what, how our parent might respond because we know we did something wrong and we know it's terrible. But we want to make sure that our kids can always come to us and tell us, right? So the difference between I'm dead when dad finds out about this or I need to tell dad because he'll know what to do. Right? In this situation where Cain has made the, this horrible choice and allowed his sin to become full born and turn into death. He's feeling like I'm dead when dad finds out. And he's beginning to blame God for his own sin. You know, as a pastor, like, I often feel this, uh, just a little bit, where people will take out their anger with God on me because I represent God to them because I'm a pastor. And they'll be like, oh, you're a pastor. And then I'll get the vitriol or the anger that they have and they'll direct it towards me. That's what's going on here with Cain. He's directing his anger from his own sin towards God. And he's being, you know, confrontational or defensive or, in this case, almost a little bit sarcastic. How do I know? How do I know where he is? I'm not my brother's keeper. Then it says, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. God says, I don't know if you think you can hide this or keep this away from me, but I'm aware of all of it. We, we can't play the game where we think we're going to just confess the things that we think we're able to keep God knowing and then not tell him about the other things. That doesn't work. He says, uh, the ground cries out. It has received the blood of your brother, and it tells me what's going on here. I'm fully aware of the full amount of sin in your life. And if you think you can handle this, you can't. Like, it's full born at this point, and now there needs to be consequences. This is what God says. He says, okay, now you are under a curse, and you are driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. That faith part, that part where I step in and make sure that the crops do their thing, that's not going to happen anymore for you. It will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be like a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Yeah, I wonder what how Abel feels about your punishment Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me, which is interesting because you've just killed someone, and now you're worried about being killed. But the Lord said to him, not so. Here's God, even in this moment, giving him grace and mercy in a way. Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord will put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We don't. You, somebody asked me, like, well, what's what's the mark that that Cain got? I mean, you go look on the internet; you'll find some really interesting stuff. We don't know. It doesn't say. Like some would say, it was some sort of weird hairdo. I thought that was a funny one. Uh, a, a tattoo of some kind. Uh, some sort of scar. The rabbis originally thought that he had an, a dog with him, 
that would chase off anyone who came to mean him harm. Again, not accurate or biblical in any way, okay? It doesn't tell us. But in some way, God offers him protection from this life of wandering and calls him to go to this place, Nod, which literally means this land of wandering. And it says he goes east of Eden. So now we've got Adam and Eve put out of the garden to the east, and now we've got Cain going even further away from God's presence, further away from the garden, further away from God living in relationship with his people, going even further east of where he should be. Sin pushes us further and further away from God. And you may find yourself in, sometimes you feel like God is so far away and you feel like there was a moment in your life where you did connect with God and where he was real and you you had this moment. It was in college or it was, you know, uh, when I went on this retreat or this mission trip or there's this time when I felt like I was at this mountaintop and I was just connected with God. And oftentimes when you feel like God is a million miles away, it's not because God has moved. It's because you've gone further east. And I don't mean literally further east. It means you've moved away from where God is. He doesn't move. He's always there. But sometimes we allow sin to be born into our lives, and it pushes us further and further away from him. You know, in the New Testament, we find out that we're actually supposed to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit and have God with us all the time. And I think sometimes when we sin, it's just a matter of us almost trying to disconnect ourselves from his presence and saying, hey, I'm just going to let this happen here without God being involved in this thing. And that's not how it works. We actually drag God into our worst moments when we have his Holy Spirit in us because he doesn't leave us or forsake us. He doesn't push us out to wander anymore. He allows us to have a relationship with him even when we are struggling. And when he feels a million miles away, it's most of the time because we have allowed that to happen by not dealing with the sin that has caused us to feel far from him, that we've continued to go east away from him, to push further out into our own, and to wander away. And he's calling us back. And he's saying, hey, I've got forgiveness here for you. I've got healing here for you. I've got my presence feeling so close to you. Just come on back. And so we have one brother's murder calling out from the ground, calling out for justice. And in this case, justice looks like being pushed further away from God's presence. But that's not the end of the story, and it's not our story. Even though that was Cain's story, it's not our story because we now live in a time where we've seen the full fruition of God's plan come to pass. And we know that God has offered us reconciliation with his Holy Spirit, with him in relationship. And that we don't have to continue to walk further and further away from him. That we can deal with our sin and we can seek forgiveness and we can be healed. And we can still be wounded and we can still be sinful and we can still work on becoming more like Jesus. But we're called into relationship while we do that, while we work on those things. We don't expect you to be perfect here at this church. That's impossible. We just expect you to continue to grow, to continue to move towards God and and to love God and be in relationship with him. And in Hebrews, this is, this, is how it, it's, this is how it speaks about the difference between one murder that calls out for justice, right, and another murder that would happen later that would bring this all into, uh, into clarity. And here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, you've come to God, 
And I hope you have. I hope you've come to God. I hope you understand who God is, and I hope you understand that his offer of relationship is for you. It says he's the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteousness, righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Right? Jesus was also an unjustified murderer, killed by his brethren, his brothers, right? put to death in an unjust way, and the ground received his blood and cried out for justice. And yet this one didn't end with people being pushed further away from relationship with God. It ended with God making this all right and coming full circle and inviting people back into relationships, saying, hey, why don't you come west instead of east? Why don't you join me in my presence here? Why don't you... Instead of going further away, come closer to me. Sin is not the end of the story, right? If we're believers in Jesus, we understand that this death, this injustice paid a price for our sin. That there was a punishment received here that was given to Jesus because of us. That our payment was made by Jesus. We don't need to be marked. We don't need to be pushed east we're invited west and we're invited into a relationship. And, I, you know, it's, it's hard in this environment to have an intimate moment. But I invite you to have one right now. Right? Like, I don't know how you feel if God feels so far away. Like, if you feel like you're going through the motions. If you feel like worship isn't really, like, part of a thing that you do. Like, if you feel like you're east and further going further east. Or if you feel like you're west and you're in a relationship and you're working on that and you're seeing that happen and you're feeling the intimacy that God wants you to have. But if you find yourself east and further east, then you're always welcome to come back. There's a moment where you can choose to take your sin seriously, to ask for forgiveness, and to receive the gift of relationship that God has offered to you. That's what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus. It means, yes, I have messed everything up and I've done horrible things, but I don't need to pay the price for that. There will be consequences for the sin and I will deal with things. And it has brought death into relationships that I'll need to work on. And there are going to be things in my life that I'm going to need to change, but I'm offered a relationship by the God of the universe who created all of this and says to me, you know what? This is beautiful, and you are too, and I want you to be back in my presence. Take your sin seriously. Put it to death. Come west and receive the gift of salvation. Receive the gift of relationship. Yeah, bring worship and offering every week, all the time, everything you do. But start by saying, I am a sinful person who needs to be in relationship with God. And I feel like our, our world around us says, you're good just as you are. There is nothing you need to worry about. You don't have to deal with your sin. And God says, you are imperfect. You are sinful. Come and ask for forgiveness and receive relationship with me. And you know what? I just want to pray for everybody. Would you just, in the, the area that you're in, just find a little bit intimacy with God? God, first, I just want to pray for people who feel like they are far from your, your, um, your spirit, far from you, who find themselves east of the garden, east of, of Eden. God, 
would you just help them to see that you care about them, that you're inviting them back into a relationship? That if they would deal with their sin and ask for forgiveness and receive your gift of salvation, God, that you would do all the rest. And Jesus, for those of us who struggle with sin, God, I pray that you would just help us put to death our sin to be honest, to confess, to ask for help from other people, to not be afraid to bring it to other people to help us, God, that you would use this church to encourage each other to find victory over our sin. And God, even as we bring you offerings of worship, would you help us to have the right spirit, the right heart to do it first and our best, God, and that you would receive the offerings that we bring to you, that they would be, as the Bible says, like a, a fragrance it smells so sweet to you. You would receive our, our singing. You would receive our, our learning. You would receive our, our, our money, God. You would receive our service. You would receive our, our acts of love to other people, God. That you would receive all of those things as worship. And that it would help us grow even more in intimacy with you. God, thank you for this picture of this of your gentleness, of your grace, of your mercy. God, would you help us not to make the decision that Cain made, but to go and be in relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.